Good morning. I've been asked to uh, share the Word of God with you this morning. Niall called me a while back and asked if I would fill pulpit in his absence, and I gladly accepted. I have spoken here before, um, but some of you don't know me. My name is Kevin Korb, and uh, I am a, uh, a former pastor in the area. Some of you may have been here when I spoke before, and you still don't remember me. And that kind of hurts, but... I appreciated the worship this morning. Um, I am one of those guys that is easily moved to tears, you know, like when you watch a Hallmark card commercial. Most people don't cry, but I do. And and, uh, it was hard to get up here after that last song. It was great. I'd like to begin this morning by reading a passage of Scripture that you've probably heard read during this Christmas season, but you probably won't hear it read in this type of setting for uh, another year, probably till next December. It's a familiar passage, but I I want us to, to make some observations about what God did when he sent his son into the world. So this is the passage, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 and going through verse 7. And again, maybe some of you could even recite along with me, but uh, just listen as I, I read these verses. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of Beth. To, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. As I said, it's a, a familiar passage. And it's in Luke's simple way, he expresses to us uh, this tremendous occasion that we call the incarnation. There are great and, and powerful points in history that are unrepeated. They happen just one time. When God spoke the world into existence at creation, it's never going to happen again. Other great points in history that we embrace as believers, as followers of Jesus, are, of course, his crucifixion when the God-man was on the cross bearing the sin of the world, paying for our debt, for the death that we deserve because of sin, there he was on the cross. The crucifixion is one of those points in history 
That only happens once. And of course, the resurrection, when that same Jesus, three days later, came back from the grave and appeared to his followers. But the incarnation, the birth of Christ, and you remember, and I'm sure you you have learned and, and been taught the meaning of the word incarnation. It's one that we use in church all the time, but sometimes people miss the meaning of it. We know that it has to do with Christmas. But the incarnation is the enfleshment, the coming in flesh of our eternal God, God the Son, the one who was our creator, who made us. He became man at the incarnation. The word, or that that root word, carne, we use it when we say chili con carne. That means chili with flesh, with meat, right? And we call a carnivore a flesh eater. So that basic root word means flesh. And here in the incarnation we have Jesus Christ, Son of God, coming into our world, becoming a human being. Remaining God, but becoming a human being. So we call him the God-man. Now, the way he did it is intriguing to me because I'm a marketing, I was a marketing major in, uh, in college. I wanted to go into marketing primarily because I found accounting too difficult. But I knew I was going to end up in business somewhere. (laughs) And uh, so I I went into marketing, and I kind of liked that. I thought, ah, advertising, I want to be an an advertising guy. And I ended up working as a salesman for a large meatpacking company. But anyways, as a a marketing guy, I recognize that when you have something that you want people to accept and you want them to buy it, you want them to to use your product, you do it in a big way. You've got to promote this product. You've got to advertise this product. I worked for Oscar Mayer, and the advertising budget for Oscar Mayer blew me away. I couldn't believe how much they spent on advertising for wieners, you know. But I know that it was effective because I know you guys know the song, I wish I was an Oscar Mayer wiener. That is what I really like to be. Well, you know, everyone would be in love with me with an Oscar Mayer wiener. Well, see, that, <clears throat> that's advertising. That's promotion. That's getting the word out there. That's making people uh, aware of your product, to giving them that, that recognition that, hey, there's a product I might try someday because that's a cute jingle. They spent a lot of money. They had mobiles going all over the country <laughs> and with little Oscar you know, signing autographs and giving away wiener whistles when I was a kid. They really did things in a big way. And as a marketing major, I'm thinking, God, you didn't do any of that. God obviously never took a marketing class. But the birth of the Son of God, the incarnation, 
was way too simple. It was too hidden from my perspective. It was too obscure. There's this carpenter from Nazareth, an insignificant Galilean town called Nazareth. That's where he came from. And he, he has this young wife with him, and he comes to a little town called Bethlehem, not even Jerusalem, the big metropolitan metropolitan area he comes to Bethlehem and and in a stable the son of God comes into the world what did Eric Eric where is Eric what is that phrase he used stealthy darkness or something like that I thought that's yeah and and it's kind of like wow you kind of snuck in You know, there was no fanfare here. Now, there was a birth announcement, you you read about it in Luke, to to some shepherds by angels. Angels actually appeared to announce the birth of Christ, but who did they appear to? Shepherds. Shepherds were social outcasts. On the, uh, on the social scale, shepherds were way down low. Some of you know Len Larson. I, I heard him a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about shepherds, and he said they were the kind of guys that if they came into a, a, a bar or a restaurant, people would move away from them. You know, They were that kind of people. They were insignificant people. They were people that were not highly thought of. And that's who received the birth announcement of Jesus from these angels. There's a lesson. And the lesson is this. God is not all that He's not all that concerned with appearance. Image to God is not all that important. In fact, in First Corinthians chapter one, Paul writes this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God does powerful work through very weak vessels, very insignificant vessels. The coming of the eternal Son of God into this world as a human, was one of, is, it's a turning point in history. We still celebrate Christmas. Even those that don't believe celebrate Christmas. That's what it's all about, the birth of this baby. Mary, did you know that when you Kiss your baby, you're kissing the face of God, a recent song proclaims. There's God in the flesh. God could have done this up in a different way. He could have had like an explosion of light streaming from heaven. Thousands upon thousands of angels appearing to the largest metropolitan areas where Joseph had been directed to go to some 
some type of wonderful palatial building attended by a hundred of the finest physicians of the land. And of course, if I had been in charge, there would have been advance notice and promotion and advertising, so there would have been large throngs of crowds. It, it could have been so different. And it would have been appropriate from a human point of view to have this event promoted and advertised and, and celebrated on this large scale. But it was such a small scale. It was a stable where he came to. And here's the thing. God's mission... was to bless us, not to impress us. We need to keep that in mind. When God does something because He loves us, He wants to bless us. And it's obvious that a lot of the ways He does that and a lot of the the methods and the people that He uses are not impressive people. Jesus himself did not walk around in royal robes, even though he could have and should have possibly. He was not carried aloft by his servants. He dressed plainly. He ate simply. He owned next to nothing. At one point he said, you know, foxes, foxes have holes and the birds of the air, they have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't, despite some of the pictures you may have seen, the portraits of Jesus, he did not have this glowing halo circling his head. If you looked at Jesus in the first century when he was walking the earth, there's the Son of God, the Son of God and the Son of Man. He didn't walk around with a halo. He was that carpenter from Nazareth. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 53, it says, this is a prophecy concerning Jesus, the Christ. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. There's a prophecy about Jesus. I don't know what he looked like. We were talking on the way down here. What is Jesus? When we actually see him face to face, what are we going to think about his appearance? And, and you know, here's Isaiah saying he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He wasn't personally uh, so attractive that people were just drawn to him. When some men pressed him to show them a sign, to show them something impressive, Jesus refused. Right before his crucifixion, Herod, wanted him to do a miracle. And what did Jesus do? He just stood silent. He was 
He was here to bless and not to impress. Even on the cross, they dared him to do something spectacular. They're taunting him. They're saying, you who destroy the temple and and build it in three days, save yourself. Let's see what you can do, Jesus. You claimed you could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. It took 40-some years for people to build this temple. You're saying you can do it in three days. If you can do that, why don't you save yourself from this execution that you're suffering at this very minute. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross, they said. And i got to believe it must have been one of Jesus' greatest temptations because he had the power at his disposal to do anything he wanted to do. He could have just ripped the nails from his hands and feet, jumped down from the cross, And he could have shown them his healing power by instantly healing his hands and his feet. And then he could have called a legion of angels to accompany him. And he could have said, you wanted something spectacular? You wanted me to show you how powerful I am? Well, here, do you believe now? But he didn't do that. That's not the the narrative that we read in the Bible, we read that he stayed there and he suffered at the hands of these soldiers and these priests, these religious leaders who were taunting him. He stayed there because his purpose was to die for our sins, to undergo that treatment and to die for our sins. I didn't come to be served, he said. I I came to serve. He came to bless. He came to give us life. And that's what he did. It's my observation, um, basically, personal observation of... (laughs) my own attitude and some of my own actions, but this is what we do. Many of us are so intent on impressing others. We want people to know that we matter. We want people to know that we can do things, we can accomplish things. It was, you know, one of the young guys I know going through that time when you start getting interested in girls, you try to make sure every hair is perfect on your head, <laughs> you know, and your clothes is just right. And, and girls, I know you kind of do the same thing. And it's all about impressing people of the opposite gender, right? <laughs> oh, we, we want to look really good. But, you know, maybe if we step back and say, maybe most people are kind of insecure and they're not impressed with us because they're so worried about themselves. Maybe if we just start blessing others and and acting kindly and considerate, you know, it's a better route. (laughs) Many of us, even worse than that, are trying to impress 
God. God will never be impressed by our attempts at goodness and righteousness. The Bible says there is none righteous, not, not one. So we can't impress God. If we could impress God, he would not have sent his son to rescue us, to bless us. It's all through his son. And he's just saying through his son, you've got to receive him. That's where your blessing comes. He came to seek and to save us. He came to die for our sins. If you want to experience real blessing, receive him, trust him, embrace him, believe in him. We can't impress God. He wasn't here. Jesus wasn't here to impress us, but to bless us. So I'm just going to close with two questions. The first question is, are are we open to the blessings that Jesus offers? If he was here to bless us, and not just impress us with his grandeur and his majesty, if he came almost stealthily, if he came with no beauty that we should be attracted to him, but he came to die for our sins, are we open to those blessings? He came down from glory. He humbled himself. He became one of us to bless us. His coming wasn't impressive, but it was tremendously advantageous to our well-being, to our soul. He came to bless us. I'm not going to take the time this morning to go through some of the the blessings that we have in Christ, but review Ephesians 1, maybe this afternoon. Just look and see what he... It says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've been blessed with every... I hope you're feeling blessed this morning as a believer because we are a blessed people because of Christ, not because we're impressive in ourselves. So are we open to to receiving and, and embracing those blessings that he gave us? That's what Christianity is all about. That word grace that we throw around, it's simply the word gift in Greek. The grace of God is his gift to us. You receive a gift. You don't refuse a gift. Are we open to just rejoicing in the blessings we have in Christ? Second question, are we open to imitating Christ? By being a blessing to those around us. As we look ahead into the new year, Maybe we should reorient where we're at in our minds, in our hearts. Maybe impressing other people isn't so important. Maybe blessing them is. If we're imitators of Christ, we're a blessing to others. We love them. We act in a way that benefits them, that blesses them. Our desire in this new year, based upon the lessons that we, we learn from our 
from our own Savior, our own Lord. Our lessons are to be a blessing. To bless. Not so much to impress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you do things so differently than what we would expect. For the grandeur, the majesty, the greatness of the Son, who had glory with you before the worlds began. He set that aside to become a servant, to bless us. By the world's standards, he was not that impressive. He did miracles, Lord, but he did miracles out of compassion. He did miracles to fulfill what was written of him in the Old Testament. So he fulfilled Scripture. But many times he refused to simply be a source of entertainment for others because he had a mission to bless us. And may we be people who receive that blessing. May we, in imitation of Christ, having received his blessing, be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen.